0: Well, good morning. It is a joy to welcome you to the well and those upstairs uh, to the well cafe. My name is David and I serve as a senior pastor here and especially if you're a first time guest, uh, either here in our chapel or upstairs in the loft, uh, we're delighted to have you today. Uh, We'd love to to greet you. If you want to stop by our connecting point uh, after the service, it's right outside your worship space. Uh, We have some volunteers and staff who will be there. We'd love to answer any questions that you have and also uh, share with you a gift. If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to Mark chapter 1. If you didn't bring your Bible today, uh, there are Bibles in the chair in front of you here in the chapel. And there's a a cart of Bibles upstairs in the loft if you want to grab that. And on the screen, you will see the page number in those blue Bibles for Mark chapter 1. We're going to look at the first four verses there as we begin a brand new series with you today. Uh, I'm really excited to be here. I haven't been here in three weeks, which is like an eternity for a pastor. I feel like I've gone to the other side of the world and back. actually did, but um, I didn't. I, that just came out. Um, I, I spent a week or so at a, uh, in a staycation time here in Mansfield catching up on projects at the house and other things that, um, that needed to get done, and then my wife and I had the privilege to go to England uh, in the last week of our vacation. We got back on Tuesday night, which means that we're sort of used to central uh, time now. We are refreshed, though not necessarily rested from vacation. You know what that kind of vacation is like. But nevertheless, I am really excited to be here. I I count it as a real honor that when I get to the end of vacation, I cannot wait to get back to work. Uh, I love what I do. Uh, It's an honor to do what I do and to come back to a full house Uh, is even better here in the chapel and upstairs in the loft. I think we need to build a bigger building. What do y'all think? Raise your hand if you think we need to do that. All right, that's our vote. We're going to go ahead and do it, okay? (laughs) Uh, I was in England for the purpose of representing you with a group called the Leading Edge. And the Leading Edge is the top 100 United Methodist churches in America. Uh, if you don't know, uh, First Methodist Mansfield is a top 25 church uh, in America. And so I was there representing you. If you were here a couple weeks ago, Pastor Mike uh, shared with you, and he joked about the fact that he had previously been our representative to the Leading Edge, and they had gone to Atlanta, and they'd gone to Colorado, and then my first year they went to England. Uh, The reason for that is we went to see the historical sites related to the life of John Wesley, uh, who was an Anglican priest who lived during the 18th century and the significance of wesley is that his life and ministry led to the birth of methodism of which our church first united methodist church of mansfield is a part of that movement we're a part of that stream uh, historical stream of the faith and so uh, wesley and and his life uh, his heritage is really it's really our heritage and i'm going to share a little bit more with you about his life but one of the significant things about wesley is that he was one of the leaders of an of a incredible revival that took place not only in Britain, but also came over here into the American colonies during the late 18th century. And so that's what we're looking at in this next series. We're talking about revival. And I want to start by just talking about that word and what we mean by the word revival. So I want to give you just a few definitions. The first one is this, uh, that revival is a reawakening of religious fervor especially by means of a series of evangelistic meetings. Now, that, there's some words there that you may not use in your everyday language, some big church words, so let me just illustrate for you this way. How many of you have heard of Billy Graham? Okay, I'm sure there's some hands upstairs. Many of you have heard of Billy Graham, you know who he is. If you know who Billy Graham is, you know of him because he became famous as a revival preacher. Uh, during the 1950s and 1960s, Billy Graham traveled all over this country hosting revival meetings, what he called the Billy Graham Crusades, where he went to not only indoor venues but also outdoor venues to share about the good news uh, of Jesus. And while we may think of that as something that Billy Graham started, uh, the roots of that movement, that revival idea, actually date back to the time of John Wesley, this idea of leaving the church, the chapel, the cathedral, and going out to the people to share the good news of Jesus was actually something that originated with Wesley in the 18th century and and some others. And while that may not sound like a very revolutionary idea for us, it was was totally innovative for the 18th century. In fact, I wanna read to you something that Wesley wrote in his journal when he was first introduced to something that came to be known as field preaching. Again, leaving the church, leaving the cathedral and going out into the fields to share the good news. This is what he writes, in the evening, I reached Bristol, which was one of the places that we visited, and I met Mr. Whitfield there. And Mr. Whitfield is George Whitfield. He was one of the the greatest preachers of the 18th century, thought of in that way not only by people in Britain, but also in America. Whitfield came to America to share the good news. Wesley writes, I could scarcely reconcile myself at first to this strange way of preaching in the fields of which he, Whitfield set me an example on Sunday. And then now listen to the prim and proper Anglican priest Wesley as he talks about this. He says, I had been all my life, until very lately, so tenacious of every point relating to decency and order that I should have thought the saving of souls almost a sin if it had not been done in a church." That was Wesley's perspective, and that was the innovative idea of of the 18th century. So we have in this notion of revival this sense of going beyond our comfort zones, going beyond the places where where we feel like like we're at home to share with others the good news about Jesus. Let me give you another definition, the definition of revival being an improvement in the condition or strength of something. So you can talk about a revival in your physical health. You could talk about a revival in your marriage relationship. You could talk about a revival in your financial health. You could speak of it in lots of different ways. What I want you to think about is this sense of optimism that strength could come in a place where right now you may feel a little bit weak. That's what we mean when we think about revival and renewal and change. We're talking about strength coming to a place where we may feel a little bit weak. A little bit weak so here's the direction that we're going with this series as we think about revival and I'm gonna share with you some of of this trip and and where we went to and some of the historical perspective I want you to know that we want to bring this sense of optimism this idea of revival to where we are today the reality that we are living in today and here's how I've described that reality for you in the past that first we are a significant church Again, I just told you that you're a top 25 United Methodist Church in America. The average Methodist Church in America would be this group of people right here, about 80 people in worship. And and we're a church that worships around 2,500. We're, We're a significant church. You are doing significant ministry here in this community, but you also represent a hope and an optimism for the church across America. You are a significant church. You are serving a growing community in a radically changing world in which the Christian faith is increasingly seen as irrelevant. And here's what that means, that we are living in a time when the church is in need of revival. In many ways, a time that's very similar to the 18th century, to the time that Wesley lived, different in other ways, but we're living in a time when the church is in need of revival, and we want to be a church that's a part of that. That's why we are part of the leading edge in these groups of churches that are seeking to bring revival and renewal to the churches here in America. We believe that we are living in a time where the church is in need of revival. So this isn't a history lesson. This isn't sharing vacation photos. This isn't me just telling you some stuff about Methodism that probably you don't care about anyways, okay? This is about understanding our heritage, where we have come from, so that we can understand where we need to go, so that we might be faithful in our time as those who have come before us have been faithful in their time. We're talking about revival. We're talking about renewal. We're talking about strength coming where we may feel weak, doing in our time what others have done in their time. So we're going to begin with Mark chapter 1. And the reason that we're starting there in the Gospel of Mark is that Mark, along with Matthew, Luke, and John, they tell the story of the greatest revival in the history of the world, and the greatest revival preacher, Jesus. So we're going to look in Mark chapter 1 at how that revival, how that renewal, how that strengthening began, and we're going to do that so that we can talk today about the essential ingredient of revival, so I want you to think about it this way. I want you to think about the process of baking bread, which I know many of you are thinking I've never baked bread before. So what is this? But, but if, you may not know much about baking bread, but you probably know this. If you want bread to rise, if you want it to be this nice full loaf of bread, there's one ingredient that you have to have. And you all know what that is. You have to have yeast, right? If you don't have yeast, the bread is not going to end up being the product that you want it to be. And so what we're talking about today is the yeast. We are talking about the essential ingredient that you have to have in your life, that you have to have within a community of faith, that you have to have within a nation, if revival and renewal is going to happen. That's what we're looking at today, the essential ingredient, the thing that you absolutely have to have if revival is going to come. So let's look here at Mark chapter 1. I'm going to read you the first four verses. Mark begins in this way. He says, The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah the Son of God. So Mark begins by saying, hey, let me tell you what this story is about. This story is about Jesus, who Mark believes is the Son of God, the Messiah that the Israelites had been waiting for. Verse 2, Mark says, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. So, Mark starts by saying this is a story about Jesus, the Messiah, the one that the Israelites have been waiting for for thousands of years. And he starts by saying that the Messiah came in the way that Isaiah the prophet had said he would come. And, and what Isaiah had said is that someone who would come in advance of the Messiah. To prepare the way for him. And that person's name was John the Baptist. Verse four it says, And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. So Isaiah had said there's gonna be a warm up act. Someone's gonna to come to introduce the main attraction. And the purpose of the one who comes in advance of the Messiah is to prepare you for his coming. And the way in which Mark describes this preparation, the ministry and the message of John is he says that John was about preaching about repentance and inviting people to identify with that repentance by being baptized and being forgiven of their sins. Now, I bet nobody use the word repentance in a sentence this week. I mean, unless you just have a really bad child and you were just, you know, you were just weighing in on them. You probably didn't use that, that word. It's a big church word. So what in the world does, does repentance mean? Let me see if I can help you understand what we, what we mean by this word. Uh, you may know that the Bible is not one book. I mean, it's one book right here, but it's actually a collection of 66 books 66 books that were written over the course of thousands of years in a variety of different languages, of which none of them are English, okay? There's no English here. It's translated for us. That's why when you go to Barnes & Noble to pick out a Bible, there's 15 shelves of Bibles. Anybody ever been overwhelmed by that? It's because there's all sorts of different varieties of translations from those original texts. But many of them here in Mark render this Greek word, the Greek was the original language of Mark, as repentance. So let's talk about what the Greek word is from which repentance comes. The Greek word is metanoia. And I wanna just show you visually what metanoia literally means. So I'm heading in this direction, I turn around and I begin heading in a very different direction. That's the literal translation, the visual expression of what metanoia means. It literally means to turn around. You're heading in one direction, you turn around to begin to head in a different direction. So one illustration of this, last Sunday after we went to church, we had some free time in London. What do you do when you have free time in London? You go where everybody else goes. You go to Big Ben, you go to Parliament, you go to Westminster Abbey, you ride the underground subway over there and you come out and you take pictures like everybody else and look like a tourist. That's what we did last Sunday, my wife and I. And then we decided to walk across the bridge over the River Thames, which is very dirty, to walk across the bridge and, and to go to another underground station so that we could then go see if the queen was free, you know, go by Buckingham Palace and see if she wanted to meet us. So we're walking across the bridge and I'm looking at the map. I've gotten into the map, you know, and and I'm walking, uh, I'm walking across the bridge and I tell my wife, we just got to keep going straight. I mean, it says here on the map, there's an underground station right here. We just got to keep heading straight. If we just keep going in this direction, we're going to hit that next underground station. So we keep walking and we walk across a couple streets and we're being very careful because they don't know which side of the road to drive on. And so, you know, we're, we're going that direction. And I'm, I'm just saying, we just got to keep heading straight and keep heading straight. We come to this very dark tunnel and I'm looking at the map and the map, it, it says it's right here. We got to keep heading straight. And so we walk through this. I mean, you can almost hear the music in the background, like this is a bad thing. And then you look, the, the light at the other end of the tunnel is this just concrete, wall that's covered in graffiti. And and at this point, it's like, maybe we're heading the wrong way. And so what did we do? We turned around. We stopped heading in the wrong direction so that we could head in the right direction. And then we found the underground station. We got back in the map and figured out which way we were supposed to go. That's what it means. That's what repentance means. It means turning your direction. It's about changing the way that you think so that you can change the way that you behave. It's a radical, radical change in the direction of your life. You're heading this way, and you decide to turn around and begin to head in a different, different way. I told you that I spent some time at home working on some projects, and one of the things that I had to do was to fix my son's basketball goal. Do you all remember when it rained here back in May? you remember that? Long, long time ago. There was all this rain and storms, and it's very strange here in Texas, but yeah, it rained a lot, and there was all these storms, and during that storm, this basketball goal got blown over. There's a picture on it on the screen there, and, and so the rim got bent, the backboard was kind of messed up, and I had, to, I had to fix this thing, and so I woke up early one morning for the purpose of being the greatest dad in the history of dads and fixing the goal for, for my son, so I got up early. I wanted to avoid the heat, and, and I got the goal down, so I, I wanted to show you this picture so you can see there's there's two bars that connect to the vertical pole and if you un unhinge those. You take the bolt out, then you can lay the goal down, and then you can fix it. So that's what I did, laid it down. Everything was going so well. I mean, as it's going, I'm not very handy, by the way, so as, you know, everything's going so well, I'm just thinking, I am the greatest man in the history of men, you know, because <laughs> it's, it's all working out. I'm figuring it all out, and then I got to the point, backboard is in there, rim is in there, everything is as it should be. It's time to raise the goal back up. It's which point I had to go inside And say, honey, I need your help. Now, this is why marriage is hard, because there are moments when you need help, right? And so she comes out, and I say, okay, here's what we're gonna do we're gonna raise this goal up, and you're gonna hold it really still, uh, totally still, so that I can slip this bolt that goes from one end to the other and then connects to the nut on the other side. And then when we're done, I'm going to go inside and wake up our son and claim the greatest dad in the world trophy, right? That's what's going to happen. So she's, she's going to help hold this thing up, hold it very still, so that I can then take the, the bolt and the nut and I can connect it with the Allen wrenches. That that was really smart, making them with Allen wrenches on either side. And, and I just think, you know, we're like a minute away from this being done and finished, big task that I've been putting off for months. I'm so excited about it being done. And so I'm trying to connect this bolt and this nut, and it just won't work. It just won't work. It will not do what it is supposed to do. Now, I don't know what it is about men, okay? But when something like this happens, it's not our fault. Did you know that? It's not our fault. It is the fault. Of the bolt and the nut not doing what they're supposed to. You can hear this. If you've ever been around a guy who's real frustrated trying to do a job, it's not their fault. Why won't you do what you're supposed to do? Would you please go in the hole? Go in the hole. Go in the hole. No. It's the bolt's fault, right? It's the inanimate object that is not performing the way it's supposed to perform. And I am getting more and more frustrated i mean mad really really i haven't said anything bad yet but i'm really really close (laughs) to saying something really really bad and 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 poor sweet wonderful wife is just remaining calm holding this pole up for 20 minutes while i try to get this nut and this bolt to to go so that i can go in and claim the trophy greatest dad in the history of the world and it just won't work It just will not work. And so then my neighbor comes across the street, you know, the guy who can fix anything. (laughs) And he says, looks like the bolt's stripped. Now, here's what that means. If you don't know what that means, that means we could have been there all day long. We could have woken up the next day and started again. We were never going to get that goal fixed until I acknowledged that this bolt was not going to work. And I needed to take another trip to the hardware store to get a new bolt, which I did, and a new nut, which I did. And then two minutes later, it was done. It was fixed. But here's the, hear this. I had to first acknowledge that the direction I was heading, what I was trying to do, it was never, ever, ever going to work. It didn't matter how, how mad I got didn't matter how frustrated I was. didn't matter how, how, many, how much I yelled at the bolt to do what I wanted it to do. It was never going to do what I wanted it to do. Do you know what insanity is? You've heard this before. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results, which is really funny until you do something insane. Like you're the one in the story. And do you recognize that you have a tendency toward that? We all do. We all have a tendency towards this idea that if we just try a little bit hard, we just put a little bit more oomph behind it. If we, if, if, if everything in the world would just do what I want it to do, then I could get to the place that I want to go. And we find ourselves in those places over and over again, just beating ourselves against that wall. Not able to get to the place that we want to go because we we haven't stopped to acknowledge that it's never, ever ever going to work until we turn in a new direction. We're talking about the essential ingredient of revival, of renewal, of change. Here's what it is. Revival always begins with the acknowledgement that we need a better way, that we need a better way, that the that the direction that we have been heading with our life, the thought process that has been guiding us in our life, the the way we've been moving, it's not ever going to work and we need a different way, which may be turning to someone and saying, I need help. It may be, may be turning in a new direction and saying, I'm not gonna follow that path anymore. I'm not gonna allow my life to be driven and defined by this behavior. It's, it's the acknowledgement that we need a better way. And if that is absent, if that is not present in your life, then revival cannot happen. Change cannot happen. I don't care how hard you try. I don't care how smart you are or how skilled you may be. It never will happen until we acknowledge that we need a better way. So if we believe that we are living in a world and we are living at a time when the church is in need of revival then the question I think we have to ask ourselves and we have to be very diligent in seeking is how do we need to think and behave differently? How do we need to change the way that we think so that we can in turn change the way that we behave? If revival is going to come into our hearts and our lives, it's going to come into our church and our community, and if it's going to come all across this nation, how might God be challenging you to think differently? Differently, and I don't know the answer to that question for you. I mean, I can't just you know, let's line up. Here's your answer. I don't have that, I don't know what it is, but I can tell you that in my experience, there's a few main categories in which that often falls. I'm going to show you what those are. The first is how we think about God, the second is how we think about ourselves, and how we think about our future. So I'm convinced that that many people find themselves at, at barriers in their life with God because they have a false understanding of who God is in their life. They see God as someone who blesses them when they're good and punishes them when they're bad. Rather than the God who created you, gave you the gift of life, gives you the gift of choice and longs to bless you and nurture you as you continue to grow in their life. They have a false perspective on who God is and because of it, and it, that inhibits their continual growth in God, which is why you can't—you you just can't get away from us talking about this conference we're having in September, right? If you look in, your, in, in the seat in front of you, you've got a little pin that says the Good and Beautiful Conference on it. We have magnets. I didn't even know we were getting this. We have magnets that say the Good and Beautiful Conference. I think we have Good and Beautiful Conference toilet paper coming next week. <laughs> We're just going to badger you to death until you sign up for this conference and here's why. It's not cuz you're bored. It's not because we look out there and we said, "Man, people have nothing to do. We got to come up with something for people to do." No, it's because I read this book and it changed my life. I, I, I engage with this teaching and it revolutionized the way that I thought about my life and my relationship with God. One of the things that James Bryan Smith says over and over in this book is that the goal of the Christian faith is to fall in love with the God that Jesus knows. To look at Jesus and how he interacts and engages God and to understand that God invites us to engage and interact with him in the exact same way to see God as a loving and caring father. The word Abba was a new word, a new way of understanding God that Jesus brought into the world, inviting us to see God not as some distant deity that is waiting for us to behave in the way that he wants us to, but a a loving and caring father who longs to bless us and nurture us and care for us in our life. I want you to go to this conference. We have 400 people signed up. I want 1,000 people to come, not because you're bored, but because I am convinced that it's something that might change your life. You think about how you think about yourself. I'm convinced that there are false notions that we have about our identity and who we are that we often can't break through unless we are involved in key relationships with other people in our life. In other words, all of us need people in our life who are reflecting back to us what is true about ourselves. So one of the other things that I'm gonna just beg you to do, I'm I'm gonna badger you about doing is being a part of a small group, a group of people that you are sharing your life with who will help you see yourself as you really are, help you understand your identity in Christ and what your future now means because of what God has done for you. We've invested a ton of time and energy in a series that we're gonna follow that conference with, and it's about inviting you to be a part of a small group, how do you need to think differently? Because revival begins when we acknowledge that we need a better way. Let me close with a with a few pictures that I want to I want to show you. The last thing that we did in London was we went to church at City Road Chapel, uh, a, a church that Wesley built uh, near the end of his life. There was a home there as well where Wesley lived out uh, the, the his final days. In fact, he died here uh, at, at this house in 1791. Um, so we got to go inside and 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 to see his home. And one of the things that our guide he kind of told us what we were going to see. And it's very different than than our homes today. Very modest bedroom. The ceilings were all very low. Wesley was five foot two, uh, in case you're wondering. Everyone was a little bit shorter back then. Uh, but we got to go into his into his bedroom. And the and the guide said, you know, when you get in the bedroom, go through the door in the back that looks like a closet. And this is what you're going to find there. This is a uh, Wesley's prayer closet, like literally a prayer closet. It's a, what we would think of as a closet, but he, he built a little altar. It had a little altar in there and a little kneeler in there. And what our guide said was, I want you all to, to go in there and, and to kneel as you come to the end of this journey. We traveled all over England seeing these places that, that Wesley preached and, where, and, and, and the revival movement that, that happened. One of the places that we went to was a place called Hennam Mount, which was right outside Bristol. It was an open-air area where Wesley would do the field preaching. And in that area, there were many miners, working poor Uh, who would never have set foot in an Anglican cathedral, but they came there to to hear Wesley preach. And there was a plaque there. And on that plaque, uh, it said that it was estimated, putting together Wesley's journals, that he traveled 250,000 miles on horseback over the course of his life to share the good news. Now, let me put that in perspective for you. 250,000 miles is the distance from here to the moon, the moon, people, the mo- you know the thing you see, the moon, it's the distance from, he rode a horse to the moon <laughs> to share the good news of Jesus. Can you believe that? I mean, that is amazing. That over the course of, he must have been so sore. He, he rode to the moon <laughs> on a horse, went all over, all over to share the good news about Jesus. So we'd seen all these things. And we came to this place, and the guide said, I want you to kneel at this place where Wesley knelt and where he prayed. He was famous for getting up at four in the morning and spending a few hours in prayer before he started his day. And he said, as you kneel there, I want you to think about that everything that happened in Wesley's life and everything that has happened since then happened because of the places where he knelt. That the power of that was those places where he, where he knelt and where he prayed. When he acknowledged that he had a need of God. He acknowledged that, that the things that he wanted to see happen in his life and the things that he wanted to see happen in his nation, he didn't have the power to do those things. Only God did. And every day Wesley would come to a place like this and he would kneel and he would pray and he'd say, God, I need you. God, I need you. God, I needs you. And revival can't come. Revival cannot come until we acknowledge our need of God. The, The things that we want to see happen in our life, the things that we want to see happen in our family, the things that we want to see happen in our world, it cannot happen because of our skill or our wisdom or our insight or anything that we might possess. We are temporary frail creatures. They only happen when we acknowledge that we need a power that is greater than ourselves. And because Wesley knelt and he prayed, he saw some amazing things happen in his life. It's a way of remembering that the power that was present in the life of this this little guy is the same power that's present in your life too when you acknowledge it, when you acknowledge your need of it, and you say, God, I want you to do in my life what I cannot do for myself. That's repentance. Repentance. It's coming to God and saying, I need you, I need you, I need you. So I want to close by doing something a little bit different. If you're brand new here today, we don't do this every week, I promise, okay? It's a little bit of a risk, but when you've been gone for three weeks, you think risks are no big deal. So here's what I want to invite you to do. If you are able, I want to invite you to stand, and I want to invite you to kneel with me. Just find a place, and if you're upstairs, I know the floor is harder than it is down here. The prayer won't last very long. Wesley knelt for hours. We're only going to kneel for a few minutes, but I want to invite you just to kneel with me. And as we begin this journey, as we think about what revival might mean in our life, in our church, and in our nation, together we're going to kneel and acknowledge that we need God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace at work in our life. Especially, Lord, for those times when we struggle to see it. We know it's there. We know it's present. We know that you are working. We confess to you today, Lord, that often we turn to our own strength. We turn to our own wisdom. And in that, Lord, we often come up short. We find ourselves banging our head against that same wall over and over and over again. We, we long for change to happen, but we continually come up short. And today we acknowledge, today we confess that it's often because we don't turn to you and tap ourselves into the power of your spirit at work in the world, and at work in our lives. And so we together, Lord, as we think about revival and renewal in our life and in our community and in our nation, we acknowledge that if that's going to happen, we need you. And we may need to turn around. We may need to stop heading in the wrong direction so that we can begin to head in the right direction. And if that is what needs to happen in our life, Lord, would you just knock us over the head with it? Would you help us to see, Lord, those false ideas that may be clouding our judgment and keeping us in bondage? Would you help us to see, Lord, those, those, those behaviors that are continually taking us down a path that we don't want to go? Would you help us, Lord, to acknowledge them and to say to you that we want to live in a better way? Lord, we want to be faithful As those who have come before us have been faithful. So help us to see the reality. But help us, Lord, to have hope. And to know that in you, there is a power that is greater than anything. Anything that we might see in this world. This is our prayer for revival. For our lives. For our community. For our nation. For our world. That we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be.